This is the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 948. My interview with Todd Henry. We're discussing his new book, The Motivation Code. Enjoy the show. Todd, welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. How are you? Uh, thanks, Lee. I'm doing great. How are you? Now that we're recording, let's give it a <laughs> we, uh, Yeah, we've we already had, had this conversation. <laughs> yeah, deja vu. We um, yeah, we started to talk about your, your morning routines and... and um, process of doing your creative work first off in the morning and and why you've found that revolutionary to your to your work indeed is it um and i know you said you've, you've changed from sort of nights um to mornings you used to do a lot of your creative work at night to the mornings just because of the adaptation to different lifestyle um changes in in you know everyone's life i suppose do yeah, you find I think, any research? Yeah, we, we always to... adapt ourselves to our environment. And that's, you know, you, you cannot just hold a fist up in the air and say, I am going to force the world to conform to me. I mean, we have to adapt to our environment. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, even though I started off as someone who maybe was a little more productive in the evenings, um, I've realized with now that I have older children and, uh, you know, just d- different demands of my of my environment, of my work, uh, it's just much, much better for me to be, um, you know, to, to, to get the bulk of my work done earlier in the day for sure. Yeah. You do the, um, the creative work. A lot of people, the research sort of says that, um, you know, sort of an hour or two hours after we wake up, that's when we are our most productive. That's when we are our most uh, clear to be able to do our most creative work, uh, but particularly even even the important work, the stuff that is challenging to do. Yeah, I, th- I do think that there is some benefit to doing your most important creative work early in the day. You know, to dedicating yourself to that work at a point in time when you have more clarity, when there's less noise in your world, typically the mornings are a little quieter if you make them yeah. that way. And so you can see the dots more clearly, you know, Steve jobs famously quip creativity is just connecting things. And so yeah, you can like see that. more things to connect. I think early in the day when the noise hasn't yet encroached upon your schedule, upon your life, you know, there aren't as many things bouncing around in your head. Yeah. The, um, I mean, how have you found it revolutionary to be able to do those things first rather than at some other stage? Well, for me personally, I I find that um, it creates a sense of momentum in my world. Uh, You know, small wins are important. Uh, Having a series of small wins creates momentum. And so having a small win early in the day, like I am going to write 500 words before 930 this morning on my new book project. And, you know, I've written five books in 10 years, which represents a tremendous amount of writing. Um, you're doing a little bit of work every single day, every single weekday, I should say on those projects creates a sense of momentum and it adds up over time, right? All of that little, uh, all those little accomplishments add up over time, but I just find that it creates momentum out of the gate for me when I try to get that important creative work done first thing. Yeah. It gives you some sort of feeling of gratification or reward when you, when you, achieve something that's important, I suppose, first off, and it makes those other tasks that are maybe still as important or even less important, but it makes them a lot more easier to approach and tackle and and get through as well, I find. Yeah, no question. And I think the other thing it does as well is it, you know, it sets your day off on the right tone, on the right foot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No matter what else happens during the course of the day, you know that you've done, you've tackled your big creative um, open loop 
that's whatever that is, you know, uh, yeah. it just, it just makes, uh, makes a huge difference in terms of momentum and in terms of clarity. And I mean, research has shown it, you know, uh, when we have those little wins in our life that it just creates a sense of overall wellness and, and momentum. And that's so important, especially today when every day right now to, you know, at least for me and most of the people I know, you know, here in the U S specifically, um, every day feels kind of the same. <laughs> it feels like one yeah. day is just like the next day. So having those little wins structured in makes a big difference and creates a little bit of momentum. Absolutely. How would you give advice to people on figuring out what those things are to be doing first? Because I, I feel that uh, for many of us, yeah, we know what's important and what we should be doing first, but others perhaps don't know. Yeah. So I would say, you know, one of the most important things is to sit down and have a, have a routine in your life of planning your week, planning yeah. your tasks, looking at yeah. your big activities, the big accomplishments that you need to tackle for the week. So I, yeah. I, every week I sit down on Sunday, I look at my week and I ask, okay, what are my objectives? And objectives are not projects and they're not tasks. Objectives are outcomes that I'm looking to have um, that week. So it could be, I want to feel good about this specific speech that I gave to a client this week, or I want to feel good about this, uh, you know, the, the number of words that I wrote this week, or I want, you know, those are outcomes at the end of the week. When I look back, I want to say, okay, I hit that objective. Then I also look at my projects and I look at my tasks and some of those tasks are simple things like, Oh, I need to pull together a proposal for this client or, Oh, I need to, you know, uh, do a contract for someone or, oh, I need to respond to these customer service emails or something like that. I mean, they can be really small things, some of them, but there are some big things that need to happen. Like, uh, you know, I do a podcast we release once to twice a week called the accidental creative podcast. And, Mm. um, you know, I, I need to create those episodes. And so I will look at my week. I'll look at my commitments, my client engagements, my speaking engagements, anything else that's going on, and I'll find spots on my calendar throughout the course of the week. I call I mean, it. You know, I, I don't. I'm not the only one who calls it this, but it's called time blocking, right? So I'll block time to do those important creative tasks, so that they, you know, that time isn't robbed from me by other things that are naturally going to encroach upon my calendar throughout the course of the week, whether it's client engagements or whatever, uh, commitments, family commitments, whatever. So I know that I have that time blocked off Mm. for, you know, an hour blocked off for doing that podcast episode or, you know, two hours blocked off for writing that article for a magazine or whatever it is. I know that time is already protected on my calendar. So I do all of that on Sunday. So by the time I jump into my week, I pretty much already have a game plan. I know exactly what I'm going to do when it's going to happen. Now, there are times when that's going to be interrupted, of course, you know, if a client calls me and says, Hey, I can only speak at 10 AM on Thursday morning. And it's a high value client to me. Then of course I'm going to say, sure, (laughs) let's make it happen. Right. Because, um, you have to have a set of priorities in your life. And one of those priorities has to be, I mean, listen, why am I creating all this content and all these things? Yeah. I want to have impact in the world, of course, but also I need to generate revenue in order to continue to sustain that. So one of those high profile or high um, priority things is anything that is a revenue generating activity has to take precedence over other things. Now, if somebody says, Hey, I want to get together for coffee and talk about a project I'm working on. Okay. That doesn't meet that threshold of high priority necessarily. Um, So I'm, I'm not probably going to, reschedule my podcast creation time to meet with that person. Um, Now, 
that said, as well, there are business development opportunities where if, uh, let's say that, you know, somebody uh, like the CEO of some major corporation says, Hey, I want to talk to you about a project I'm working on. Well, of, of course, you know, you that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. this dev yeah. opportunity. So you just have to have a set of priorities, a set of, um, principles by which you guide your week. But I find that setting aside time early in the week makes a huge difference in terms of overall productivity. Yeah. So you do it on a Sunday. Is it a Sunday afternoon that you sort of sit down and do that? I find it very hard to do mine on a Sunday, to be honest. Yeah, it's usually on Sunday evening. I usually look yeah. at the week ahead on Sunday good, evening good uh, after it. everything quiets down for the weekend. Um, and it's, I mean, yeah, and, and I also do a review of the previous week. So I look back yeah. at the previous week. I look at my obje- look at my objectives and and consider whether I did. I write down what mm. went well, what didn't go so well, what I need to change moving forward. Um, you know, there are going to be some tasks I didn't accomplish that I need to move forward to this week. So mm-hmm. I basically just transfer all that to this week and then I map out my, my upcoming week. And it, it works really, really well because it's pretty hard to get too far off track if you're really flowing from week to week in that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Definitely something I want to incorporate there even better into my schedule. The whole idea of time blocking, I love, I'm a big fan of, I'm, I color coded as well. I'm not sure if you are. Uh, but when you enter it into the calendar, I color code it depending on. I what absolutely do. To. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely do. I do. So I have these weekly uh, plan sheets and daily plan sheets I created for myself. And I have a, one for each day, but I also have uh, one for each week. And I, uh, on my iPad, this is where I do all my planning. And I uh, actually, you know, will block off time in different colors on my weekly plan sheet or on my, on my daily plan sheet to help me, help me keep track of it. Yeah. So I have, I have a, a color for uh, like uh, meetings, which is red. Um, and I have a color for deep work time, which is green. And I have a color for uh, uh, admin time, which is gray. And I have a color for my personal development time, which is like a light blue. So almost identical to mine. There you go. Yeah. Mine, mine are red for uh, yeah meetings and green for creative work. Uh, very interesting. I um I do love that idea and and certainly the the way to prioritize it and and schedule it, but then to know you know, what can interrupt those things and what can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes a level of awareness into, you know, your goals and what's important. Um, how do you go about helping others? Because I know you, you sort of do help teams and, and individuals uh, mm-hmm. with that uh, area of, you know, knowing their objectives and goals so they can become better at prioritizing. Yeah, well, so the- – Focus is one of the four finite resources we have at our disposal. Um, I would say your fate determines your fate, right? Focus, assets, time, and energy. So focus is how we allocate our finite attention. We have finite attention. We don't think we do, but we have finite attention to spend on behalf of the work that we do. And so it's really important that we are allocating that finite attention appropriately, which is primarily about how we define the problems we're solving, not the projects we're doing, but the problems that we're actually solving in those projects and how we define what we're not doing, which is almost equally important. Um, you know, it's so easy for us to get distracted and pulled into activities that simply aren't, uh, productive. They're not really helping us achieve our overall objectives. Um, they make us feel productive because we feel like we're checking things off lists or we're moving things 
yeah. in some capacity, but we're not really moving things forward in a meaningful way. So yeah. focus is critically important. And so one of the things I work with teams on all the time is helping them define the problems that they're trying to solve in a as simple a way as possible, you know, not, not a needlessly complex way, but in as simple a way as possible. So we can allocate our finite attention to the right places, because what's going to happen is as we move through those projects, we're going to learn things. We're going to figure things out. We're going to have to iterate and pivot and adapt. Well, if we've defined the problem well, then we can say, okay, are we still solving the same problem? here uh, because you know this doesn't it seems like we've learned something now that means we're solving a different problem great now we can allocate our finite attention in a different way mm. but we have to make sure that we're allocating our attention to the right problems at the right time and then assets obviously physical assets financial assets all of those things we have to allocate those because we have finite resources you know to spend in that way time are we spending our time efficiently or effectively? Now, we can do both, but many of us default to spending our time efficiently at the expense of effectiveness. And then energy. We have to make sure we're managing our energy effectively. What is the difference between that? Sorry, the, the efficiency and effectiveness. Like, what do you so mean? When we, we can become increasingly efficient at doing decreasingly effective things. We can become better and better and better at getting more and more things done. But all we're doing is work that is uh, creating smaller and smaller uh, sets of concentric circles in terms of impact and effectiveness. Um, you know, so I can get really good and very efficient at cranking through a project for a client, but if I'm not investing in that client in a way that is creating new and interesting kinds of value, I'm going to lose that book of business over time. So, one of the things that we need to do is dedicate th dedicate time to things like idea generation dedicate time to things like investing in relationships. That's not very efficient. Relationships are not efficient. You know, um, idea generation is not efficient. You might spend five hours trying to come up with ideas and it may take four hours and 59 minutes to come up with the idea. But, but if you come up with that killer idea at four hours and 59 minutes, that entire five hours was well spent. Yeah. But because it doesn't feel efficient, we, we don't do it. We expect ideas to come in the cracks and crevices of our mm. life. So that's really the, the demarcation between efficiency and effectiveness is in, uh, using our time effectively means investing our time in things that are likely to create additional future value. Using our time efficiently means effectively managing the value that's already there, um, which hmm. doesn't necessarily well create new opportunities. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why we, we often fail to, to spend the time you know, like planning your week, like you do on a Sunday. Yeah, we don't exactly. Find it well, as and that, that's a great example of effectiveness versus efficiency. Listen, there are, there are other ways I could efficiently use my time on a Sunday, right? Um, but it's not going to make me more effective long term. So that's one of those activities. Yeah, I call it mapping, making, and meshing, right? Mapping is planning, making is executing, and meshing are these little things we do in between that keep us aligned, keep us focused, keep us engaged. Well, planning your week is kind of a meshing activity. You could say it's mapping, but really kind of not because you're coming up with stuff maybe that you wouldn't have thought of if you're just sitting down to map out how you were going to get your work done for the week. This mm. is the kind of thing that we do where we sit down and we ask, okay, what do I value? What kind of value do I want to create in the world? And how can I make sure that my time accurately reflects that? How can I make sure my energy is spent in ways that accurately reflect that? How can I make sure my relationships are being invested in? All of those things, we look at our week through the lens of our principles and our priorities, and it completely reframes 
invest ourselves in uh, via those finite resources, focus assets, time and energy. Mm. So you talk about um, you start talking about energy there as well um, with regards to managing that. What are your what are your thoughts or advice on that? Yeah, so you know we are really great at managing time. We are. We have more tools at our disposal than at any point in human history for managing mm-hmm. time. We are abysmal at managing energy. We're terrible. You know, so we stack meeting after meeting after meeting. We're very efficient at stacking our meetings. We're very efficient at squeezing every ounce out of every moment of our time. The problem is we're not machines. I'm not a machine. You're not a machine. We are not wired to create a perpetual amount of uh, value, squeeze an infinite amount of value out of a finite amount of resources. So we have to also manage our energy effectively, our creative energy, our Mm -hmm. ability to bring ourselves Mm -hmm. fully or what uh, Lewis Hyde calls emotional labor, right? To do emotional labor, to bring ourselves fully to what we do. And so one of the practices that I routinely walk organizations through is pruning, the practice of pruning. We are, we love, 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 love to say yes to new projects, to add new tasks. Well, it's it's only you know, it's only going to take me ten minutes to do that. It's only going to take me ten minutes to do this other thing. It's only going to take ten minutes. To, so pretty soon we've got this entire bucket of ten minute tasks that essentially squeeze all of the joy, squeeze all of the energy, squeeze all of the life, um, all of the value out of our our existence. And so instead, we just find ourselves cranking through tasks one after the other. And we don't have the space, we don't have the white space necessary to synthesize, to think systemically, to connect dots, to get beyond the obvious answer. And, uh, you know, where does innovation happen? It happens in the white space. It happens in the gaps in between when we have the ability to step back and to synthesize and to think systemically. So when we're not managing our energy effectively, we're not pruning priorities, we're not pruning projects from our life, pruning tasks pruning relationships. Mm. We're not creating that space for something new to grow in the gaps. Mm. I really, I was going to ask you about that too, because I think it's one of the most important things that we can do is, is pruning. Um, and I, I started to realize this many years ago, because uh, like you, I, I like to be busy and mm. in my work schedule, I just, you know, you just accumulate things just like sure. you do in your environment. You accumulate stuff. And and often you can look back at it and go, look, a lot of this stuff is there. A lot of these tasks that I do are there, but what's what's their real important? And I, I sort of use that 80-20 Pareto principle to, to guide me through that and saying, well, you know, what tasks are actually important to to most of my results and what's not? And that's the way I'd, I'd go through and prune um, prune those downs. But we do, we do find uh, a way in this modern age to try and cram as much as we can into to each moment. And maybe that's just the thrill of, like you said earlier, getting things done. It is. And I think it's also some of it's driven by insecurity. I think that we, um, feel we, we never feel like we're doing enough. Mm. We never feel like we're adding enough value. We never feel like we've, you know, hit whatever threshold of what would be considered accept, acceptable to our clients or to our organization. So many of us just work, 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 work right up till we run out of time or resources because we're insecure about whether we've created enough value. Um, and you multiply that by however many things are going on in our life and we are just running ourselves ragged. We're, we're completely frantic trying to get work done. And so if we can get to the root of that insecurity as well, uh, and we can understand what we're really trying to do again, living by principle, you know, um, and, and ensuring that we are, uh, making our decisions and prioritizing our life by principle, not by the expectations of 
of what everybody around us is doing um, mm. that will help us manage our life more effectively. And listen, what is the goal? I mean, what are you really trying to do here? Um, you know, in my book, Die Empty, I wrote about uh, a friend of mine whose son uh, said that he wanted to be, you know, one of the greatest of all time, you know, be, be one of like the greats in all of history. And he said, all right, let's just do this little exercise. They were on the drive together. He said, let's do this little exercise. I want you to name off every great person you can think of right now. Go, let's go. Right. And so he you know, named all the, this person's from the United States, you named all the U S presidents named, you know, uh, famous sports figures named, you know, famous, uh, business people, uh, you know, whatever. And I think they got to maybe like a hundred people, you know, by, by the time he, he had exhausted the list of people he could think of. And mm. so my friend said, no, are you telling me you're trying to be one of those hundred people? You're, you're trying to be like the hundred and first person that somebody's going to think of. I mean, just just build a great life, man. Just live your life. Just, you know, create value. Just enjoy yourself. Just, you know, do something you love, make value for people around you and just invest yourself in the world around you. Don't worry. Let other people worry about legacy. Let other people, you know, I was in an interview the other day, we were talking about this phenomenon of celebrity today and it drives me up the wall. I sound like a crotchety old man. Sorry. I love me too. Cause I'm, you know, <laughs> but we, you know, we were talking about this thing of celebrity and, and, you know, it used to be once upon a time that a celebrity was somebody who had done something worth celebrating. And so, you know, they became a celebrity because we were celebrating something they had done. And now becoming a celebrity is of, it, it's an objective in and of itself, which is just absurd to me. You know, we should focus less on whether people are recognizing what we're doing and focus more on doing things that are worth recognizing. And I think if we do that, if we invest in other people and we try to add value wherever we can, I think all of the other pieces are going to take care of themselves, be resourceful, add value, show up every day, be easy to work with, invest, you know, create value wherever value needs to be created. And you're going to find your way in this world. You simply are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a really good thought. And I find that it's a really hard thing to do for, for many of us because we're, we're driven by that. That's how our culture uh, breathes, it seems, at the moment. Uh, Absolutely. But certainly no connecting it's, with it, your personal principle and then using that to, to guide you um, is certainly going to help in that process. And I, and I, I agree. It, it's, you know, I get so sometimes overwhelmed in um, the result rather than the process. And I'm probably now much, much better at just saying, no, this is the process. I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to try and add value. I'm going to do the things that are important and get rid of the things that aren't so that I can feel more comfortable and not overwhelmed because that's sort of the idea of just adding, 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 doing, 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 and it just creates so much anxiety and stress. Whereas if I can just go, okay, hang on, let's step back a bit. What are the important things? What are the things that actually are truly going to add value to me and to, to what I do to others? Right. And uh, just focus on that process. And if I focus on that process, I know that everything else will just fall in line. And in whatever way that feels, whether it falls in line and you become that celebrity or if you just falls in line and you actually just enjoy living your life and, and you know, in a more humble way, um, right. you, you're going to feel good about it. Right. Absolutely. Listen, and, and again, big things happen from small things, right? So mm. 2005, I sat down to create the first episode of the Axon Creative Podcast and released it. And 2005, so you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Huh. And, and, you know, um, when I released it, 
you know, millions of people around the world instantly downloaded it and it became an instant phenomenon and everybody was celebrating how great I was for doing it. No, of course not. There were like five people who downloaded the first episode, you know, five whole people cared about what I had to say about the creative process. But over the course Mom, of several dad, years, brother, sister. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So over, but over the course of years, um, you know, that led to opportunities, which led to opportunities. And I just continued creating value every day. And, you know, I got a book deal, my first book deal from it, that book did well. So I did a second and third and fourth. So now I've had five book deals with Penguin Random House. The podcast has been downloaded more than 10 million times. Um, you know, I mean, continue to have, I mean, it just continues to accelerate, but all of that started because I sat down to create value for somebody, for five other people who I thought might like it, you know? Um, and so we, we overplay the importance of immediate success and we give up far too early in our efforts. We think, mm. well, I've been doing this for six months and I'm not seeing results. Well, yeah. <laughs> six months, right? Like maybe it's going to take you a while. Maybe it's going to take you a couple of years. Or in my case, it was five years, six years from the time I created the podcast to the time I had a book that was released, yeah. you know, um, as a result of that Which six years. Talk, and frankly, really the isn't. first three years were like two to three years were nothing. You know, I was just building, trying to get people to pay, you know, but it just takes time. You have to invest, you have to create value. Um, and so I don't care. I mean, I'm, that's podcasting, that's books, whatever that's building a business. But I mean, it could be for you, it could be just your career. It could be your family. It could be, any place where you want to add value, you have to commit to it. You have to stick to it. You have to commit to adding a little bit of value each day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And that sort of takes us, you've got a new book out, The Motivation Code. And I'm going to start with the question, what was the motivation for you to keep on going? Because it's sometimes hard when you start a project like a podcast. And I know, again, everyone wants to start a podcast now because they listen to these podcast shows where they're making millions of dollars an, uh, an hour or whatever. <laughs> and so they think they're going to do the same or, you know, whatever. It's a celebrity. It's for the fame and, and things like that. And and we right. probably get into a lot of things for the wrong reason, for external reasons rather than internal reasons. Um, so sometimes, you know, knowing what, what things to tackle and what not to. And when you start like a po podcast, and I'm, I'm the same, I don't have millions of downloads uh, like you might. Um, and, you know, I've been doing it for a few years, but I enjoy the process and I do love interviewing people like yourself and yeah. sharing that with, with other people that care to listen. Um, but there's a, there's a motivation there that keeps me going. What was it for you that sort of kept you going? And how did you know that it was the right path? Well, it's interesting because I, so much of that was revealed to me through this research that I wrote about in the Motivation Code. Um, about four years ago, I took this mm. assessment called the Motivation Code that my friend Rod had been working on with a team of PhDs for a number of years. Um, and I found out later that this research goes back 50 years. Uh, it was sourced in the work of a guy named Arthur Miller Jr. who began... Uh, interviewing people in the late 1960s from all walks of life about moments when they were most gratified, moments when they were deeply engaged with their work. And what he discovered after collect, compiling over a million achievement stories, uh, now more than like 100,000 people have been through this assessment um, that was developed, is that there are 27 unique themes of motivation, 27 unique ways that people talk about what is gratifying about work to them. And um, the, the, to get back to your question, I realized after I took this assessment, what kept me going in those moments when I felt like quitting, and there are many moments when I felt like quitting, especially early on, 
was I am motivated primarily by my number one motivation is to make an impact. My number two motivate, which means I need to see the direct impact of my work. I need to see on the other side of it that I'm, I'm creating something that is uh, changing the way things are happening. My number two motivation is meet the challenge. So I need my work to be imminently challenging in some capacity. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I write 500 words before 9.30 a.m. when I'm working on a book mm-hmm. project. I don't like to write. That's not, I don't enjoy the task of writing, but I turned it into something I enjoy by making it a challenge for myself. That's why I'm engaged with it is because that's one of my top motivators is meet the challenge. So uh, I engage. I engage. You make it challenging for yourself. But by Other saying, I'm going to write 500 words before 930 this morning. Yeah. That's so so when I create okay. that little challenge for myself each day, it makes the work inherently engaging for me mm. because I've just turned it into a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and my number three is influence behavior. So when you look at those top three motivations, make an impact, meet the challenge, and influence behavior, well, of course, I'm perfectly wired to create podcasts, to write books, to go out and speak to thousands of people at a time, to go out, you know, that's when I'm naturally wired to do, but I, I sort of found my way into that work because I was navigating according to these things that were motivating. I didn't even realize that's what was motivating me until I took this assessment in 2016. Now, yeah. what's interesting about that is th- that work, and then obviously I wrote the book about it to to reflect the, the research that's been going on for 50 years and sort of help other people discover that for themselves. But what's interesting about it is I, I typically just thought people were pretty much motivated the way I was. You know, everybody's pretty much motivated the same way. And what I discovered through this research is there are 17,550 possible motivation codes. So the, the odds that you and I, Lee, have the same motivation code are one in 17,550, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. So we could both experience the same thing. Let's say that both of us had, uh, let's say both of us had a podcast episode that was downloaded a million times, right? That would be a pretty cool thing if that happened. Um, what that meant for me would be very different from what that meant for you. Now we both would, would enjoy the accomplishment, Mm. but the reason we would enjoy it would be very different. So for me, it would be the impact that that signifies for me. It would be that I'm seeing that I'm influencing the minds and the behavior of other people for somebody else who's maybe, let's say they're driven, they're driven by a theme we call collaborate. It could be that that signifies a great team accomplishment because they have a team around them to help put it together. And it was the journey of getting to that million downloads that really meant the most to them. That's what we're so. What we've discovered is that people are all motivated by extrinsic factors, but the intrinsic reason why they're motivated by it varies greatly. And there are 27 different ways that people describe that intrinsic response to extrinsic factors. So, is it about tapping into that extrinsic motivation for the individual? Yeah, is there well, a way so to do that. That's that's what's what's beautiful about it is once you understand it, you can begin instead of waiting for your tasks to motivate you, you can begin bringing your motivation to your tasks. So I mentioned writing. You know, I can I can find ways of of turning my writing into a challenge for me, yeah. so that it feels more engaging. For somebody driven to collaborate, they might, for example, want to bring an editor into the process because for them it's going to be about the team effort of getting there. Um, and there are any number of other ways that you could do that as well. But 
that's one of the problems we have. One of the myths of motivation is if I just found the right set of tasks, I would be inherently motivated. The problem is the tasks don't motivate you. It's your response to the tasks that actually motivates you. So once you understand how you're uniquely wired to come alive, then you can begin bringing that motivation to your tasks instead of waiting for your tasks to motivate you. Yes, I love it. Uh, this is a uh, test that anyone could do that's listening. Yeah. So if you go to toddhenry.com slash mcode, M-C-O-D-E, stands for motivation code, uh, it'll take you to the site where you can take the assessment. You can also learn more about the book, The Motivation Code, which kind of articulates some of the research that I'm talking about and also spells out some of those or all of those 27 themes and how they interplay with one another. Brilliant. So that's toddhenry.com slash mcode. Yes. Gotcha. We'll stick that link in the show notes, guys. So uh, check it out if you're interested. The um, yeah. So how do we? What is the? What is motivation? I mean, is it is it always? Because there's extrinsic and intrinsic motivations in there that propels us to do something. Yeah. So that's um, you tr- traditionally that's how we've thought about motivation. That yeah. you have extrinsic motivation, which is the external forces that motivate us. Things like pay raises and yeah. words of encouragement, things of that nature. And then you have intrinsic motivation, which uh, the work of Dietschy and Ryan showed is comprised largely of, um, you know, autonomy, uh, mastery, connectedness, relatedness. These are all words that have been used to describe how intrinsic motivation works, something called self-determination theory. The, the, the research also shows, though, that these are not completely discrete, that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are not discrete entities, that they actually modify one another. So again, mm-hmm. the way that I uniquely intrinsically respond to stimulus is going to be different than the way that you uniquely intrinsically respond to stimulus. And what those things mean to us are going to be very different depending on how we're motivated. Mm. So it's not necessarily that there's extrinsic motivation, it's... Well, there, there is, but it's it's not going to be the same for everyone. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, you know, so like that pay raise, whilst that might be a good motivator for someone else, it really depends on what's intrinsically motivating for them. That's that's exactly right. So that that pay raise might mean something to two different people, but it might mean something for a very different reason. So why does this matter? Well, because if you're managing that person, it's important for you to know why that person finds certain things engaging, satisfying, meaningful. You can lead them in a much more intentional way once you understand what drives them versus using a one-size-fits-all management approach. Or if you're an individual, you can understand why certain people in your life perhaps might always find themselves in conflict with you. Well, it could be because there are certain things motivating you, places you're getting your motivational energy where uh, the, you know that motivational energy is in conflict with somebody else's motivational energy. Like, let's say that you're driven to explore, to ask questions. I mean, your show's called The Hidden Why, right? So to ask questions, to, uh, you know, to sort of venture out into the unknown. Somebody else might be driven to bring to completion, for example, uh, which means they want to check things off lists. They want to move forward. They want to get things done. Well, of course, there's going to be conflict in that relationship because you're you're going to be asking, well, why are we doing this? And is this really the right approach? And the other person is going to be saying, well, what do you, what do you, why are you asking that? Let's just get it done. Let's move it forward, right? So once you understand one another's motivations, you can, you can have a more meaningful conversation about what truly drives you and you can understand mm. the sources of some of those conflicts in your life. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a it's a pretty important thing to to understand about um, ourselves, and I just want to focus on on sort of the individual. So for myself or people listening out there, 
where do we start with um, obviously doing a, a the, um, the using the resource that you've supplied us and, and really trying to understand how our motivation better would be a good place to start. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So you can obviously you can pick up a copy of the book uh, wherever yeah. books are sold. Yeah, motivation code, but also yeah. uh, you, if you go to toddhenry.com slash mcode, that will forward you to a place where you can engage with the uh, motivation code assessment and begin to determine your own motivation code. Hmm. Mm. Is this um, is this something that's sort of easy to tap into once we once we do the research, or is it something that will take time and and experimenting and well, it's like anything else. I mean, as you learn about yourself, uh, you know, awareness is important. Self-awareness is critical. It's the first step toward maturity. But you also then have to ask the natural next question, which is, okay, what am I going to do with this? So the book goes into several questions and prescriptions for people to then take that motivation and consider, okay, where have I experienced this recently? Where have I experienced the shadow side of this motivation recently? Uh, what kind of tasks seem to pull my motivation out naturally? Which ones seem to grate against my motivation? And mm. how can I begin to structure my life and craft my work or my, my life in such a way that I might be able to bring more of my motivation to what I do every day? Do you think there's like core motivations that exist within like, you know, if you're driven by impact and um, uh, and the other few that you mentioned, is, is there deeper motivations than that? Like if I asked you, what is the ultimate reason why you do what you do every day? What would be your answer to that question? Well, I, yeah, I mean, there definitely are baseline motivations, I think, that are really principles that are rooted in these motivational themes. So what I would probably tell you is, why do I do what I do every day? I want to empty myself on behalf of others and pour into them so that at the end of the day, I'm not leaving my best work inside of me. Well, what I just articulated to you is basically make an impact, influence behavior, right? I mean, I'm basically, it's another way of me saying these are the things that I that, that drive me, my ultimate sort of why behind what I do, my baseline motivation. But that that's kind of at such a high level, it's hard for people to gra- grab onto. You know, like we talk about, what is your all, why? You, know, you want to make an impact on other people, but why is that important to you inherently? Like what is what is that all about? Because I guess well, I, mean, I, the, I feel that there's that whole having an impact is, is very much discussed and adding value to others in the world is certainly what a lot of people say that we, we should encourage in our lives to do. Um, because it will lead to greater things. But why does that, you know, matter to you? Well, I mean, you're asking a very existential question. <laughs> I think, you know, really you're asking why are you wired the way that you're wired to think the way that you're wired to think, um, which is a, a difficult question to answer, I think, in so many ways. But I think so much of it comes back to worldview. Uh, I'm not a nihilist. I don't believe that uh, it's all for nothing. I don't believe mm. that... Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do because it's all just turning into dust anyway at the end of our lives. I do really believe that it is possible to create value or to invest in other people and invest in the world in a way that's going to have echoes for generations to come and is going to create a better opportunity for somebody maybe 40 years from now who doesn't even know who I am. And I don't care because I've planted seeds that have grown into a tree that they're sitting under. Um, and so, you know, if I can just provide a little bit of shade for somebody 40 years from now, uh, because I planted a seed that grew into a tree, fantastic. That's great. Mm. I, I feel yeah. good about that. That's wonderful. Um, but, but I think that, um, you know, really what you're asking at the root of it is why do you see the world the way you do? And I think that that's a really, 
difficult well, question uh, to answer. Trying to get to the is, bottom of that, but there's some sort of yeah. fundamental human nature behind behind all this. I, I feel that you know whether it's survival or um, or living with that that level of uh, joy or, or deeper happiness um, through what we do, and, and obviously there's there's reasons why we'd want to have impact on others and offer that value because it fulfills us with some level of um, satisfaction that probably links back to, um, you know, our survival instincts and basically saying that, hey, if I do that and that makes me feel that way, then um, I'm doing the right things because I'm surviving. Yeah, I think that's true. I think also there is a, there are principles wired into the fabric of the universe that have nothing to do with survival, you know, and um, I mean, we could just observe these things. Like, why do we, why do we find self-sacrifice beautiful? You know, that should be the stupidest thing in the world. Why do we, why do we get emotional when we consider people storming beaches in order to save other people, you know, or, or when we see people throw themselves in the line of fire in order to save, so why does that move us emotionally? I mean, it shouldn't, like we should say that's stupid, you know, <laughs> there's something deeper going on there, um, that's mm. moving us. And, mm. um, so I think that when we ask the question, okay, why, why is this important? I think it's because there's, there's more to the nature of the universe than, than just what we give, uh, than what we often give attention to. Um, you know, I think that there is some, there's a deeper narrative, a deeper story playing out. And so when you ask me like, why, why do you do that? It's because I think I'm, 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 following a, a story that I'm seeing playing out, which is emptying yourself is beautiful, building into other people, even at your own expense is beautiful. Um, you know, it's woven into the fabric of nature that sometimes something good has to die. So something better can be born. Um, mm -hmm. it just is. So that's, that's really the ethic by which I'm trying to live my life. Yeah. I like it. What do you find the, um, the challenges of, of this whole motivation people, people tapping into their motivation, their inner motivation, um, where do you see the challenges of, of someone looking at this and then using it to their, their benefit? Uh, I think the most, the most difficult thing for people is that we're just busy. We just don't have the time yeah. to consider, you know, to think about these things. But again, self-awareness is the first step to maturity. And if we can learn to bring ourselves fully and freely to what we do every day, it makes all the difference in the world. Todd, um, really appreciate you coming on the show today. I know you've got to run to a uh, interview, so I'll let you go. The motivation code, I'll stick a link into the show notes, plus that resource that you supplied us so people can go out there and do that assessment. That's fantastic, um, but really valuable, mate, and I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Todd. We'll be in touch. Cheers. All mate. right. Thank you. Bye. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.